The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! You think he's gone? He's not gone! You know that's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? That's plankton. He's always trying to take over the world. All righty, we're live now, is that it? Huh, what? Who? All right. That's it, you're live. We thought we were ready, we're really kind of not ready, but we're never really ready. Anybody who's been following me in radio since 1999 knows even when I'm ready, I'm still not ready. Well, we're ready. But the news people are ready. <laughs> Let's go. We've got some professional news people. Hi, how you? how's everybody going? How's everyone doing? Uh, Tom Duggan here on the Paying Attention Podcast, our third show. Uh, enjoying um, being able to take the Paying Attention radio program that we had for like 20 some odd years, turning it into a TV podcast. Um, we're going to be looking for some sponsors for um, as little as $800 a month. You could be sponsoring this show. You'd be getting ads, print ads in the Valley Patriot. You'll be getting ads on valleypatriot.com during news stories. It's a complete crossover multimedia package. Please call us, instant message us, Facebook us, whatever, um, and we'll help promote your business. And we'll, maybe we'll even have you on the show if you spend enough money with us. Uh, but before we get to anything, I've got so much stuff I want to talk about today. We've only got an hour. The, the radio show is two hours, so we're trying to cram a two-hour radio show into a one hour. But the more sponsors we get, the better chances we can go to. So before we get to anything, because i got tons of stuff to, to, to get to, we've got Diana DiZaglio, state representative, here to be interviewed. Um, let's throw this to Fred and Meredith and find out what are the news stories of the week here on Paying Attention, Sounds everybody good. gets it, except Bob Blank, who sucks. <laughs> How you doing, Tom? I hate Bob Blank. I know. Who brought him up? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I th- maybe I did. Maybe you did. All right. All right. Uh, we begin today's news in North Andover, where residents are preparing to decide whether they will allow the opening of a marijuana manufacturing facility at Osgood Landing. Uh, now, Tom, you may remember mass voters legalized marijuana use last year, but communities that voted against the measure back then are given a choice whether they want to ban commercial cannabis locally if they want to. So now this Osgood Landing facility... Uh, manufacturing facility would require a two-thirds vote a town meeting to rezone the property. Proponents say it would bring about $4.5 million into the local town budget, much of which would go toward local schools, and that the site would not be used for the retail sale of marijuana. Opponents, meanwhile, cite concerns about traffic and the quality of life locally. A vote scheduled to be held on January 30th. Now, Tom, the Valley Patriot, in this month's edition, yep. there you go, Valley Patriot, um, they editorialized in favor of this project this month. Yeah, that's weird. I thought they were kind of conservative. I don't know. I don't know. Tell us about that. I don't know. Um, what do you think about this? Well, well listen, um, I voted, I voted, and the Valley Patriot took a position against legalizing marijuana. Yep. Um, now, people who know me personally think, well, how the hell does that work? Because we all know what Tom's up to. <laughs> um, but the fact is, listen, the, the, the government is going to do to marijuana what they did to cigarettes. And as a, as a right-wing libertarian kind of guy, I just don't want the government involved in that. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally, Massachusetts did something right after 300-something years in existence. Imagine that. Massachusetts decriminalized marijuana so that the cops don't have to worry about it. But if someone's dealing it, they can still arrest them and they can, they can go after it that way. And now they just want to make it completely legal. Well, they did make it completely legal, which means they're going to tax it. They're going to regulate it. Right. They're going to regulate the THC in it. You watch. Five years oh, from now, sure. five years from now, it's going to cost $50 for a joint and you're going to have to smoke five of them to get high because the government will so regulate them under the guise of health. Sorry. So you asked my opinion. That's kind of what it is. Okay. Um, but look, we were against marijuana. But now that it's now that it's legal, 
how do you then say we want to stop a marijuana farm in North Andover? Right. Because I think it should be legal. That's like saying I'm going to oppose a liquor store on Main Street because I think alcohol should be legal. We right. lost that fight. Right. Yeah. That fight was lost at the ballot box. Yeah. I voted the other way. So now I support this project because it's legal. I don't like that it's legal, but it is. And that's right. what America is all about. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Right. Yep. We continue now with news of a big federal court decision regarding immigration. On Tuesday, a federal judge in San Francisco prevented the Trump administration from ending the DACA program, which shielded more than 700,000 young people from deportation. U.S. District Judge William Alsup ruled that the DACA program must stay intact, and those already approved for DACA protections and work permits must be allowed to renew them before they expire, while litigation about its future gets resolved. Trump ended the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program last year, giving Congress until March to find a fix. In a bipartisan meeting of nearly two dozen lawmakers at the White House on Tuesday, President Trump reiterated his optimism that congressional leaders will be able to work together to reach an agreement on the program's future. I don't know about that. I don't think Congress is going to work together. But yeah, I don't think they are either. They don't work together on anything. Listen, they, the only thing that they can agree on is that they all hate Trump. <laughs> exactly. Right? Democrats and Republicans. Like, the only thing that they're good for, they've done nothing for 50 years. Yep. They've allowed this problem to go on for 50 years. They've done absolutely nothing. And now Trump wants to do something and suddenly like, oh, no, no, we can work together. Well, no, you can't. Right. Yep. So, I, listen, if you're here illegally and you're not causing trouble, fine. I have no problem with you staying. As long as we get a wall, we're deporting criminals, we're not giving them welfare, they're not getting free public housing. You want to stay, you want to be a resident, I'm okay with you staying. But the minute you beat your wife, exactly. the minute you drunk drive, yeah. go the fuck home. Exactly. Excuse my French. Gone. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Congress might not be too popular these days, but there is someone who is pretty popular these days. Me? Not, well, besides <laughs> Aside you. from you. Oh, yeah. We just assumed you. But So Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker continues to enjoy sky-high approval ratings, according to a recent poll by WBUR and Mass Inc. Polling Group. That went live on Wednesday on MassLive.com. Nice. We like Charlie. So according to that service, sure. 66% of Bay Staters had a favorable opinion of Charlie Baker, while only 17% viewed him unfavorably. Mm-hmm. 74% of voters approved of Baker's job as governor. Now, he fared better than several other Massachusetts politicians did. Um, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren was found to have a favorability rating of 54% versus 38% unfavorable. How how friggin' unbelievable is that? That a woman who cares more about the citizens of other governments than she does the people who friggin' voted for her could be, have a 56% approval rating among the people she doesn't care about. In Massachusetts. How does that work? In Massachusetts. How does that work? Uh, Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy, at the same time, 40% of respondents viewed her favorably, whereas 17% unfavorable. Wow. She now, could the, be in trouble. How is that possible? Well, we thought know. she was the golden girl. Those are, well, there's lots of time to improve those numbers, right? right? Yep. So, good news. Uh, the news was not quite as good, rather, for President Trump. So, the same panel. Oh, I'm so shocked. What I is, know. In oh, Massachusetts. I, I'm sure well, Massachusetts is negative three. Right. It's shocking, I know. But same poll found 28% of voters approve of the president, whereas 64% viewed him unfavorably. Nearly two-thirds of respondents do not think that he is fit to serve as president, and 59% say that having him as president is bad for the country. That's awesome. So 2018 is election year. What do you think all this means? It doesn't mean a damn thing, because what people don't understand is that when the news reports on polls, they're really just reporting on the success of what they've said the week before. That's true. If the news comes out and talks for a whole week about shark attacks, even though there were fewer shark attacks this week than last week, then you poll people on Monday and say, hey, do you think there have been more shark attacks? 68% of them are going to say yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, when when CNN ever comes on and they say a new poll came out that says Donald Trump hates babies, well, yeah, you just spent the last week telling everybody that he hates fucking babies. Of course he does. Of course people think that. I don't. It, it's it's lazy journalism. Reporting on polls, not like you guys, because we're, we're okay. you bring it up so we can right. talk about yeah. it. But but CNN coming out and talking about a poll. And by the way, when when they take the poll, it's always a, a, a push poll. Right. right. Like they they word the they word the questions to get the most negative response on right. Trump that they can and the mm-hmm. most positive response on any Democrat that right. they can. Right, right. So, well, anyways, that's we'll my see. on that. Anyway. We'll see. So, speaking of politics, speculations building that former Mass Governor Mitt Romney will make a run for the U.S. Senate. He's so friggin' useless. <laughs> that speculation comes amidst news that 83-year-old Utah Senator Orrin Hatch, the longest-serving Republican in the Senate, will retire in 2018 after spending 42 years in Washington. <laughs> yeah, nobody should spend 42 years no, in Washington. Should. A long nobody, time. I mean, that's re- here's the other thing, though. I did a rant on this on um, Facebook this week. Oprah Winfrey's thinking about running for breaking news. Oprah Winfrey's thinking about running for president. Breaking news. Mitt Romney's thinking about running. When did people thinking about stuff become news? Like, I thought when they did it, it became news. Right. Right? Right. Mitt Romney right. announced he's running for Senate. That's news. Right. Yep. yep. But otherwise, like, I'm thinking of taking a dump. Is that breaking news? I don't understand. Like, how does... You know what I mean? Right. Well, Romney, I don't want to unprofessionalize your news, but I just... <laughs> he hasn't announced publicly if he's going to run, but he did change his Twitter profile to say that he comes from Holiday, Utah. Yeah. It previously said Massachusetts. Yeah. So he actually polls well in uh, Massachusetts. Fifty-four percent said it's a good idea. Twenty-nine percent said bad idea. Yeah, and these are all the people who hated him when he was governor. So like, exactly. Massachusetts are all they're, they're schizophrenic Democrats. They right. don't know what they think. Right. You never know. You know. I actually I'm thinking about moving to New Hampshire. I've been thinking about it for a couple of years. Yeah. Except all the mass holes moved up right. here. Right. Becoming Democratic. So think about this: the people from Massachusetts who screwed Massachusetts up all moved to New Hampshire because now Massachusetts is screwed up. Then they get here and they go, "Oh, we need full day kindergarten and raise our taxes and barrel." Roll out. Well, wait a minute. Right. Maybe you need to go way, way up, well, like yeah. on the Canadian yeah. border right. or North something. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go to Canada. All the communists up there. Yeah, yeah, you can't go that far. Right. No. <laughs> well, Tom, finally in local news, the Baker Polito administration recently awarded $388,000 in grants to 10 communities to complete asset management plans. Well, that sounds like a total waste of money. Convince well, me. You know, well, <laughs> guess good news. City of Haverhill locally, they received $40,000 for, for what? grants under the program. And what are they going to do with it? So what these plans do is they enhance the long-term operation and maintenance of communities' drinking water and wastewater systems. How do they do that? Uh, I don't know. But they got $40,000 to figure it out. But That's why they needed the grant. But isn't this awesome? The governor's office, Mayor Ferentini, whoever it is, we're just because that, that's this story, right? It's the governor and, and Mayor Ferentini. Right. They send out these press releases saying, oh, isn't this awesome? We got $10,000 for like green technology training. And then they never tell you how they're spending it. Right. right. Well, how about like, okay, you got $40,000 for all this long, long protracted thing that you explained but didn't say anything. How about just tell us how you're spending the money? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's going to be $40,000 maybe for infrastructure, for pipes, right. to hire somebody. For, but they don't, they never. Tell we'll you. have to follow up. Right, yeah. We should, they we need another grant for that. that. Right. Yeah. That's the press release <laughs> grant. call Jim Ferentini's right. office and see what he's doing. Yep. That's your news today. That's it? That was all there was? That's it. So I ruined your whole day just for that. No. <laughs> I well, feel bad about that. No, last but week we had snow. Today so. we have news. So. See, um, 
I have a security team, uh, Twin Light Security. They follow me around when I'm like in Lawrence going to shooting calls. Yep. And then my intern, Maddie, yeah. she has a security team, her father, who chaperones her when she That's comes to my office. That's the best security team, To protect her from me. It's a good idea. And I asked Meredith to be my news person. And of course, Fred. I got my bodyguard. Fred yeah. had to come and be her security <laughs> team. I noticed a trend here, Tom. Me, right? I, yeah. I noticed a trend. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is yeah. going on. That's all right. So it was 100 people here, but half of them are to protect the other half of the people from me. <laughs> That's okay. Whatever gets them here. So, well, listen, I appreciate you guys. Your, uh, uh, plug, your, plug your business, Lyric Properties, Lyric Real Estate. What do you guys do? Yeah, a couple different businesses. We have uh, Lyric Consulting, which does communications and marketing for political candidates and small businesses. Lyric Properties, which is selling and helping people buy property all around the Merrimack and Valley, Fred's Massachusetts. And so if you find yourself in trouble, lawyer. we'll get you out. Uh, no idea when. Yeah, right. <laughs> I made an attorney to track me from him. <laughs> well, listen, thank you guys for coming. Thank I, you. I appreciate the, I appreciate the, uh, the news. And are you guys having fun doing this? We're Absolutely. having a blast. Right, We're having a blast. Absolutely. Excellent. Plus, the coffee is great here. Sean the barista. That's right. There you go. <laughs> we'll have stuff. him bring us some coffee in a few minutes. On We've got to get him camera time. I love that guy. <laughs> so, all right. I'm Tom Duggan. This is the Paying Attention Podcast. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Excellent. We'll take a quick break. We've got State Representative Diana DeZoglio is with us today. She's going to talk about the opioid crisis. We're going to break her chops a little bit about some of the other silly things that she does. But She's like, are you setting me up? I'm like, of course I'm setting you up. You've been on my show before. Uh-oh. Come on. So we're back with Diana DeZoglio after this on Paying Attention, where Bob LeBlanc doesn't get it, but we're going to talk lots about him every week. Trust me. Once again, back to paying attention, and here is Tom Duggan. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Don't clap or anything, studio audience, when we come back from a break. That's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all good. 
It's all good. That was actually pretty good. It sounded like there was a lot more people here than there really are. Hi, I'm Tom Duggan. Thanks for uh, coming back to the Paying Attention podcast. Uh, I want to thank Fred and Meredith for coming in from Lyric Properties, Lyric Consulting. They're doing our news every week. Um, we're going to try and move some of these segments around. We had a, a different plan for today, but uh, our guest has to be somewhere, so we, we, we bumped her into the second segment. Uh, so sitting with me today is uh, my favorite state rep in, in the entire state. And anybody who knows me knows I don't just say that because people are here. You actually are my favorite state rep. Uh, and every time Jim Lyons calls me, I always answer the phone, how's my second favorite state rep? And he just cracks up laughing because he knows you're my, you're my favorite. Well, I'm your state rep, so that makes me very that, happy. That's true. He, she represents North Andover. She represents Methuen and parts of Haverhill and Lawrence, too, right? So Diane is here because we had the four police chiefs on a couple of weeks ago. We had the police chief from, we had Joe Solomon from Methuen, Jim Ryder from Boxford, Chuck Gray from North Andover, and who am I forgetting, uh, Alan Denial from Haverhill. Um, almost all of which you cover. And they had a lot of uh, really great ideas about things that they could, that they wanted done to help them fight the opioid crisis. And I said, well, you know, they came up with a couple of great ideas. Why don't we get a state rep on who's really up on this opioid crisis, have her talk about it, and then see what she thinks about their ideas. So you said before we get on the air that you read the story of the interview with the police chiefs. I didn't get to read that oh, one. I you, read oh, the you read the Zany. Uh, uh, but misspoke. I did just see that you did interview all four of them, so and that's great. Tell people who you are first and, and, and just get people familiar with who you are in case they've, they've, never, uh, they've never heard of you, and then talk about you've got a new opioid bill that you just passed, and that's something I think we don't want to talk about too, right? So, well, I'm Diana DiZoglio. I'm one of the state reps in the area. Like Tom was saying, I represent portions of Methuen, Lawrence, Haverhill, and North Andover. And I'm really grateful to be here today to actually talk to some of your audience. We're grateful to have you. Well, I know a a lot of, uh, you know, my constituents and people that vote in my area listen to your show, and it's a great opportunity to be able to address them directly. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, You notice how far away she's sitting from me, though, because she doesn't have the security (laughs) detail. It's the cigarette smoke. Oh, the cigarette smoke. (laughs) See, I promised I wouldn't smoke while you were here. Thank you. I appreciate it. I wouldn't do that for anybody, actually. <laughs> actually, I wouldn't do that for anybody. You're the only person I'll Thanks say so. I'll do it for us. And no other guests can say that. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, we actually did pass a comprehensive bill uh, regarding overall substance abuse issues and addiction-related issues. And uh, that bill included things such as the seven-day uh, limit on prescription opioids uh, that we worked hand-in-hand with Governor Baker on and with the state senate on. It can, you just, can you sort of what, what yeah. does that mean? Seven-day... Uh, waiting period on opioids. What is that? How does that work? So what it is is what's been happening in recent years since the 90s when uh, drugs like OxyContin became legal and were really advertised and promoted. Uh, what was happening is that we were seeing a lot of overprescribing going on. Um, From doctors. Yeah, certainly not every doctor, mm-hmm. uh, but there were uh, many cases in which overprescribing was happening. Now, I don't think that that was you know, the doctor's intent. I think that uh, there was just a lack of education and that you know, what the legislature legislature looked at during the last couple of years is that overprescribing as being a significant reason why people ended up being addicted to opioids and then, you know, transitioning into drugs like heroin, like fentanyl, like what we're seeing right now. So the way that the legislature and the administration came together to try to combat that, um, you know, rising use of opioids overall was to target prescription opioids and to try to uh, make it so that it was a little bit, uh, you know, more stringent regarding the regulations so that doctors were more educated and that so, and that we were, so that we were able to actually track as well, or not us, but the doctors were able to track who was doctor shopping and find out who was going from doctor to doctor to try to find a way to get their prescription opioids. So what's the seven-day waiting? The seven-day waiting is that a doctor now cannot, for the, when it's the first time a person's being given a prescription, if you go in and you get 
you know, dental surgery or you, you break your leg or something, they can give you up to seven days of a prescription opioid. I see. So, like, when I got my wisdom teeth out, I got, I got addicted to, to Vicodin. Mm-hmm. So I had my wisdom teeth out. They gave me Vicodin. Um, within a week, I was gobbling four or five Vicodins a day because mm-hmm. the pain was just, it was just horrible. Um, and, but I had, like, a 90-day supply. Like, my doctor wrote me, like, a 90-day supply. So I had, like, three bottles. And they were gone in, like, a week and a half. And that's what the issue was. It was that people were getting over what they needed. There was leftover, uh, you know, opioid mm-hmm. prescriptions, whatever it was. And a lot of people were actually saying to us on the committee, because I serve on the Committee for Mental Health and Substance Misuse, so a lot of people were saying to us, well, I got this prescription, and then I thought that I was supposed to finish the prescription. Right. My doctor told me to take this. Mm-hmm. Um, or I got this prescription, and it was way too much. I kept it around, but then I used it on an as-need basis. Or I got overprescribed, and my son or my daughter mm-hmm. or my spouse started using the So this seven-day waiting period basically says, like, if I go to a brand-new doctor and say, hey, look, I need opioids, they got to wait at least, like, seven days before they can give me. So it's not that. It's actually that if they diagnose you with something that warrants in their medical opinion... They can only give you seven days' worth of supply. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. Excellent. So you, you have an, uh, another bill that you pushed... Um, on, and I'm, I'm looking because Kiana sent me the notes here. Uh, Good job, uh, Kiana. Sorry. Uh, second, diverts women at Framingham into other treatment facilities geared toward women for further treatment. So you had a bill um, that restrained prescription OxyContin for under 17, but you also had a bill um, as far as women who were addicted that were in prison. So we actually included both of those provisions, versions of both of those provisions in that comprehensive bill that we passed a couple of years ago. Um, The governor actually, you know, several of us actually filed that provision and the governor ended up including that in his comprehensive opioid bill that did divert women in Framingham to other facilities where they were able to actually receive treatment instead of just being put behind bars, not receiving medical attention, not receiving any sort of, uh, you know, counseling or, you know, the services that they would need to actually transition off of being addicted into recovery. So, um, you know, I commend the governor for his leadership on that and on working together with us on the committee in moving that forward and a version of that did pass in that comprehensive bill. Uh, as far as the limitations on uh, OxyContin for children under 17, I don't know how many people remember this, but a couple of years ago during, I think it was August, um, I forget what year it was actually, but I just remember sitting there, it was a hot August day, and I remember reading in the paper that the FDA had approved use of OxyContin for children under 17 for the first time in history. Got to love that Obama administration. Now, this was actually something where we were already in the middle of the opioid epidemic and scrambling as a state, you know, as the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and all the other states were scrambling as well. On the federal level, they're scrambling as well to find solutions to this. In the middle of while we're all, as lawmakers, scrambling to work together with voters and work together with advocates. Yeah, the federal government district, pulled the rug out right from under you. The FDA approved OxyContin for children under 17. So... I was in the middle of helping out with this, uh, the drafting of this comprehensive opioid legislation. And while we were drafting this opioid legislation, the FDA approved OxyContin for children under 17. Those so, bastards. So I, I filed a bill, and you know, some people said it's, it goes a little bit too far, and that's okay. I like to push the envelope a little bit, that's as you know. what we like about you. And, uh, you know, it, w- it went before the committee. We had, you know, a, a couple of people that had concerns about that. But we worked together. Uh, we heard from residents. We heard from parents. We heard from doctors. We heard from uh, psychiatrists and social workers and, and, and people who work in school districts. And, you know, at the end of the day, we ended up, com- you know, mass 
medical society, everybody. And at the end of the day, we ended up coming up with something that was a compromise, which, as you know, sometimes you need to push for the strongest possible mm-hmm. thing in order to end up with that compromise. So what everybody hates about Donald Trump, but they all do the same thing, right? You always over-ask, you always over-promote, and then you compromise back, right? So... She's not touching the Trump thing. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Well, I'm here to talk about state issues right now. Um, So, yeah. So what we ended up doing is we actually ended up taking that, uh, you know, that version of the bill and adding in some provisions that, you know, made a lot of the doctors more comfortable, made a lot of the parents more comfortable as well, um, who did have children who, you know, maybe were on prescription opioids for something pertaining to things like cancer, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, that were in palliative care, that had end-of-life care or a terminal illness of some sort. Um, or it was an emergency medical situation that you know doctors had deemed it was necessary for them to continue to receive that, that treatment and that medication. We worked together and we set up a couple of different provisions that did provide um, you know opportunities for those specific circumstances to be able to receive those medications under the direct supervision of a doctor. However, not for any other reason. Mm-hmm. So um, if they do receive any of these substances now, uh, they are on a seven-day supply, limited supply, and but then that's they have to not be just for the first time. They have to be reevaluated every seven days okay, unless so, they have one so of those So that's good because cases. otherwise they would just prescribe it for seven days and just renew it after seven days. They've got to be reevaluated. Now, that's right? still the case with adults, okay. but you're an adult coming back now. With the children, the goal is is to prevent you know that child from being addicted un- unknowingly right. uh, You know because they happen to be sick and they get on the prescription opioid, and next thing you know... They're addicted. So we got a big question for you because we had all four chiefs here. All of them but one agreed. Um, I think Chuck Gray was the only one that kind of didn't agree. Um, but the rest of them all said that they believed the one. I said, I threw out the last question. I said, what's the one thing if you could wave a magic wand, the legislature could do something to help you guys, what would it be? And three of the four of them said, listen, when we go out and we Narcan someone, they go to the hospital. They can check themselves out. And three hours later, we're Narcanning them again. Um, if the legislature could pass some kind of a law that made it a mandatory, like 15 to 30 days, to go get uh, to get clean, to get whatever rehab, whatever it is, it gives the families a break because they've been dealing with this crap all you know day, on a daily basis. Their families are burnt out. Families have been stolen from. All the problems that they're having. And it gives the person's body a chance to detox. And then if they come out and they go and they do it again, well, that's one thing. But it gives the cops a break, the families a break, and the person's body a break. Is that something that you would introduce for our chiefs, for our, for our cops? I would absolutely. And I actually did introduce something similar uh, to that with Chief Solomon, who was a tremendous resource for me during He's the... He's awesome. He was, he, was, he was really great during, uh, during the time that we were writing that that. Uh, substance abuse legislation a couple of years ago and I was on the phone with him all the time asking him questions and trying to understand you know what the struggles are of our public safety officials and he was really good at breaking things down for me to um, to really get insight in what they deal with on a day-to-day basis and I am in full agreement with all of the chiefs that said that I think that too many times what happens is you do have somebody go in they have the issue with overdosing they you know wake them up get them out of the overdose and as soon as they're okay enough to you know sort of stand on their own two feet. Yeah, they go out and they find more heroin. They're out there and they're looking for that high again. They are looking for that high again. Um, You know, I have all of my public safety officials telling me that they'll Narcan somebody and the person will wake up and be infuriated with them because they lost the high. Now there they are saving their lives, but the person is so addicted and so not in their right mind that the first thing they think is, you ruined my high, right. and now I feel sick because you, you ruined my high. I'm dealing with these people on a daily basis because you see I'm out there in Lawrence. I'm chasing police calls, and I talk to people on the streets. I want to talk to everybody, whether you're a 
criminal, you're a cop, whoever. Um, and I talk to a lot of these people who are addicted, especially the ones that are uh, going into daybreak to get to get help. And it's amazing that the the addiction to heroin, and especially with the fentanyl, it takes over their entire thought process. Their whole brain changes when they start getting addicted. They can't think about, they're not interested in eating. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in finding food. They're not interested in getting out of the cold. We've got a homeless veteran on Merrimack Street. I'm sure you see him every day, Steve Gonzalo. Uh, he's, a, he's actually a veteran because I pulled up one day and said, get rid of that sign if you're not a veteran. And he showed me his DD-214s. I felt this small. Um, but we offered to get him into Veterans Northeast Outreach. I called Randy Carter. Randy said, we've got a unit. You can get him in your car. We'll put him in a unit right now. He will never sleep on the street again. Mm-hmm. And it was three degrees outside. And I pulled up and I asked him and he was like, no, the only thing I want right now is to get enough money to get my next fix. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, so it doesn't matter that it's three below zero. It doesn't matter that they sleep in the streets. All of those things become secondary to them because that addiction is so strong. The physical need for the fentanyl and the heroin is so strong that it supersedes all of the other physical needs that, that most brains know that you need, you know, sleep and food and, and water. And so they, they, they really literally just don't care. All they care about is their next high. And mm-hmm. so you're right. The cops go out and they Narcan these people and they get pissed off because it cost them their high. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, if, and if they don't go to the hospital, some of them don't, the minute the cops walk away, they're looking for their next high. And I, I talk to the Lawrence cops all the time. They tell me that they've had people that they've not in three and four times in a day. Mm-hmm. And Joe Solomon told us last week, that two weeks ago, that there are people that now that they're using four and five canisters of Narcan on them because they've been Narcan so many times, their body's built up an immunity to the Narcan. Mm-hmm. Not the fentanyl, not the heroin, but the Narcan. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that, you're, uh, that you'd be interested in doing that, uh, introducing that bill. I'd like to help you work on that if you'd be interested in having Oh, absolutely. Help. That'd be great. Yeah. So what else are you working on? We've got about four or five minutes with you, and I know you've got to be in North Andover in a half hour. Um, what, what, what are some of the things that you're working on now, especially given, you know, you know what we're talking about, the drug crisis, police officers, all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I'm just going to continue on the same topic and just talk about what I'm working on right now, like you asked. But I think that um, I think a lot of things that you were talking about really touch on uh, one particular subject, which is that we need to be able to fund um, the things that we want to see happening. And I know we're going to get into the funding issue, but you know, you said it yourself. Okay, so if we need the money, just tell us where it's being spent and tell us how it's being spent. Right, yeah, we just want to know how the help government spends the money. And I think that that's more than a fair enough requests. So right, I think yeah. that I think that um, when we talk about, you know, uh, you know, all of these different services that are provided, you just mentioned Randy, Car- Randy Carter and the Northeast Veterans Outreach. I actually was just on the phone with Randy Carter in the parking lot here before I was coming on your show. I said, oh, he said, how's your buddy Tom Duggan? I said, I'm going to see him right now. Right. I'm going on his show. He should be here. Why isn't He's, Randy here? He said to say hello to you. But but, um, you know, but 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 what 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 organizations like the Northeast Veterans Outreach Center are doing is they're providing opportunities for you know people who do have issues but who want to seek help and who just need that that helping hand who need a little bit of outreach who need you know some care um, who need to find a warm place a warm bed you know, have a, a hot meal mm-hmm. and need to have a shoulder, honestly, to cry on while they're, while and, they're detoxing. And if you're a veteran and you can get to Veterans Northeast Outreach, they'll send you to rehab. And because you're a veteran, you're not going to pay anything. If you need a place to stay, they've got units there. They've actually got apartments. They've got buildings that they've, that they've rented, leased, or purchased on that street. So, I mean, when I'm out and I'm chasing calls and I see someone, if I know they're a veteran, I'll try to get them into my car. I'll try to get them up to Veterans Northeast Outreach. Uh, most of them, they just... They, all they really care about is their high. They're just so obsessed with the high. It's 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 such a 
it has so taken over, especially with the fentanyl, it's so taken over their brain that they're not thinking right anymore. Listen, and we both have loved ones as well we do. who are addicted right. to opioids, mm-hmm. and it's devastating to watch them spiral down and not be able to reach them. Is that why you're so involved and so vested in? Yes. Uh, I mean, you could, you're a state rep. You could, you could be focused on a myriad of a hundred other issues if you wanted, you know, construction projects and infrastructure and all that, but you've tended to focus on the opioid crisis, and is it because of the person, the personal? So it is because of the personal connection with people who are, who are loved ones who I've seen become addicted due to prescription opioids in particular, um, but also because of people in my community that I've grown up with that I've known since childhood, just watching them spiral, uh, watch, you know, talking to community advocates, people like Phil Leahy. Um, we'll know, get him on at some point. Yeah, who we started Merrimack Valley Prevention and Substance Abuse Project together, that whole group. I mean, that group has done tremendous work in the Merrimack Valley. They've done more than the government has done in the last 30 years. Phil Leahy's group in the last three years has done more than government. There's that no question me, about it. Well, it, it makes me happy to see them succeed so much, um, considering that we had very humble beginnings back right. in 2013. I mean, it was me and Phil Leahy sitting in a room trying I to remember, talk to a group of he people. Used to, he used to call me and say, me and Diana are meeting. Like, do you want to come down and help? And I'm like, no. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what? I don't want to get involved. That's a whole mess. So I'm not But people with like them as well, they are providing vital services to families in our area, in North Andover, in Methuen, in Lawrence, in Haverhill, in Andover, that other organizations or the government can't really provide. You know, you can't legislate somebody, you know, giving you a hug and telling you it's going to be okay and talking you through a if breakdown you passed a when bill you're overdosing. For mandatory hugs, I would support that. <laughs> we'll talk about that one. But I think that I think that when we talk about these organizations, it again bringing it back to the funding issue. It's not about necessarily spending more. It's about making sure that we're spending the tax revenues that are coming in on the right things. Now, you were just talking about marijuana, right? So Mm -hmm. you're talking about it from the local issue, from the local perspective, all the different projects that may or may not be going on based on the local votes. At the state level, we had the uh, marijuana bill come before the legislature after it was after it was approved. I on hope the you ballot. voted the right way on that. And uh, I, act- you, you I, I actually voted against it. Good for you. That was the I, right way. Well, I did. I, I didn't think that it was. Um, I just didn't think that it was a bill that actually honored the will of the voters, first and foremost. I think that a lot of good things were included in the bill, and I do commend the people that worked on it. Um, I had some amendments that were included in the legislation, but at the end of the day there wasn't enough to offset the things that I think that we needed to change. And I wanted to see some more provisions added in there, um, especially considering the fact that we are still in the middle of a substance abuse epidemic overall. So, Do you see, do you see this, because you're seeing it from a different perspective than we do on this end, right. this opioid crisis. Are we, are we near the end? Are we still n- near the beginning? Do you think we're in the middle? Like, where do you think this crisis is? Are we No, we still have a years? long way to go. So we're still just at the beginning of all A long way this. to go. A long way to go. And unless we have a cons- continued concerted effort. Now, the governor is coming before us on the Mental Health and Substance Misuse Committee. Um, I believe it's this week or next week he's coming before us. And he will be presenting his second, uh, you know, uh, second version of an opioid bill that he's going to be presenting to us to, to be voted on, hopefully, by the end of the session. Uh, I'm looking forward to that because that actually provides a vehicle for reps like myself who, you know, I've been trying to get bills through committee, but they keep getting hung up in committee for months and months and months. Or years and years see, and years. But see, when that happens, you've got to let me, people like me know, not just me, but oh, people I do. like me and know. And you call in and you advocate. Right, yeah. You do. Because if I, I know, you know. if I know there's a state rep on a committee holding up one of your bills, they'll get a phone call from me. I promise oh, I, you. 
I promise you, before that committee meeting is over, they're not going to be giving you any crap. I do appreciate it, and I and I need the support from my constituents calling, mm-hmm. calling in and supporting the bills that we're trying to pass together. But the governor filing a bill like this, provide, it does provide a vehicle, um, you know, because we can actually take some of the bills that we've been working on and we can have conversations with the administration and with our committee chairs and with House leadership about, you know, possibly adding in as an addition to what the governor is proposing some of our ideas. And that, um, you know, it tends to be a good conversation when we have those conversations because we're already in the mindset of we're working on this comprehensive bill. Um, How do we get more? I know, I know you have to go, so I don't want to, uh, I have to cut you off. How do we get more beds for addicts? How do we get more, how do we get more beds and more rehab? Because we have walk, it's like the walking dead. You drive through Lawrence on any given day, it literally is like the walking dead. You've got 100 people who are homeless addicts who are walking through the streets, begging people for money, begging, bumming cigarettes off people. It creates an unsafe environment. One guy got stabbed the other night and he almost died. Uh, what, do, what can the legislature, what will the legislature do to get more beds and more treatment facilities? So I know we were talking about the marijuana bill and we kind of stopped and shifted because that's what we right, do. We right. ran the trail, it's okay. Um, but We're friends, we do this at sales all the time. This is how it is. But um, but one of the ways that we can get more beds and get more treatment and get more of the resources that we need to go to where they are actually needed right. um, is by holding the legislature's head to the flame when it comes to the issue of directing that funding to those treatment facilities, directing the funding to places like the Psychological Center, mm-hmm. like MVP ASAP, like Northeast Veterans Outreach. And the way that we make sure that those programs are funded, the programs that are actually working, that we can see that they're working. We don't have to look at numbers to see that they're working. We actually know by being in the community that right. they're doing great work. Right. Um, it's tangible for us. The way that we see that funding come back so that they can provide those additional resources is by keeping our word. Now, during the recent marijuana debate, you know, the House originally said that we were going to de- we were going to dedicate a minimum of ten million dollars of the anticipated two hundred million dollars. You you in blew revenue. you blew your stack on the floor of the House, and it was the greatest speech <laughs> I'd seen in twenty years in the House. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> it depends on where you were sitting. <laughs> um, well, when a Democrat is calling out the leadership of the Democrat Party for anything, that's always a good thing because dissension within a party always always results in good stuff. Well, it's the right thing to do, and you know what? I think that a lot of members of the party that I belong to, the Democratic Party, I think that they do agree. You know, on this particular Then why didn't day, they step up to the plate? They, they agree when you're having a coffee with them. And then when they go to vote, they vote the other way. That's a conversation you have to have with each individual legislator. I can't presume to know what they're thinking when they go to vote. I can tell you that the provision that I sponsored on the marijuana um, legislation got adopted in the marijuana legislation, and then it got withdrawn. Yeah, they killed it. It got killed right. during the conference committee during because the Because they weren't making any money on it. And what ended Not up enough lobbyists paid for them to vote that way. So what ended up happening is when we came back, I filed another provision on you know, another bill. It was another vehicle for me to pass this provision to go back to our original idea of dedicating some of the revenue to the area of substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And this is the Speaker of the House came out and, you know, I, I work with the Speaker and with my leadership team on, on different things that are important to my district. And I'm grateful for the work that they did on this bill. But at the end of the day, the Speaker did say that we were going to have a minimum of $10, $10 million dedicated to a substance abuse fund yeah, or to lied. a substance addiction fund. And he lied. And what ended Where's up Linda happening, Campbell on this? She's friends with the Speaker. She's part of leadership. Where is she on all this? How did I, she vote on your bill? 
So I, I'm, I'm not sure offhand. But oh, that means no. She doesn't want to say it, but if she does not, if you're not sure when Linda, Linda voted, she must have voted. I, I don't, I don't keep track of everybody else's voting she records. She hates I'm controversy. Here. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm here to talk about the things that I'm working on for my district, but. But what ended up happening is, you know, we tried to get that funding restored and all of a sudden it was, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. And, you know, I told my colleagues in the house that I'm very good friends with a lot of them. Listen, this is something that I'm not backing down on. We said we we're going to do this. And I have people in my district that are really struggling. They can't find a bed. They can't find a treatment facility that want to get treatment. Also, we have prevention and education initiatives that are supposed to be going on right now that we can't fund. We have the Students Against Destructive Decisions at Methuen High School that Dean Broder is running and that helps to, uh, you know, towards the efforts of prevention and education. We have all of these great things that are working, but if the legislature doesn't want to assist in ac actually making sure that there's a consistent and dedicated stream of revenue, how can we expect that we're going to continue to see the benefits from those organizations in the way that we want to see them? So there's a lot more work to be done. We've made you know, tremendous strides in the, you know, uh, in the areas of prescription limitation, uh, you know, uh, the, doctor, uh, the doctor shopping issue with prescription monitoring, right. limiting, pres limiting prescriptions on children, the advertising of opioids. Uh, we've done a lot of great things, but again, there's still more work to be done, and it's going to take all of us continuing to have these conversations conversations uh, in the community to be able to to see a positive result. Will you come back? I will absolutely come back. Thank you. We'd like to have you come back to talk about a bunch of other issues, but this opioid thing is big, and since we had the chiefs here and they had a, they had a wish list, I thought I'd throw it at you and see if we can't get it done. That's, you know, we're about getting things done here, not just about educating people. At least we try anyway. Well, thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Thank you, Diana Dezogli. And if anybody wants to contact me, please feel free. My phone number is 978 390-0408 and my email is diana.desoglio at mahouse.gov. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, we, will, we will put all that up on the screen when we do post-production. Uh, Diana Desoglio, State Representative. First of all, uh, before we let you go, I just want to thank thank you for one more thing. I don't think you get thanked enough. Thank you so much for beating Dave Teresi and throwing his ass out of the legislature when you ran against him and you won. Thank you so much for doing that, seriously. When you ran, I didn't think you could, want, you could win. I said, I'll help her, but I don't think she's got a shot, and you beat him. And thank God you did, because look at what he's pulling in North Andover now. I'm happy to be on your show, Tom, and I appreciate you inviting me in today. Puppies and rainbows. Thank you All right, you thank so you very much, much Diana. Uh, we'll be back after this on Paying Attention. Hey, studio audience. We're going to get Sean the Barista up here next. Again, you are paying attention, and here's your host, Tom Duggan. We up, we on. Excellent. I want to thank our guest, Diana Desoglio. She is something else, I'll tell you. She came to me about, I don't know, six years ago now, and she said, I'm thinking of running against Dave Teresi, and I'm like, look, I'll help you. I'll do anything I can to get rid of that asshole, but I don't think you've got a shot. So just know that, like, don't convince yourself you can win and then be disappointed when he crushes you because he's been a 14-year incumbent. He's from the Teresi family. They own Jackson Lumber. There's no way you're going to beat this guy. And she said, I'll just knock on more doors, and I'm going to beat him. And she did. 
And thank God she did, because as we're talking about this marijuana thing that's going on in North Andover, you know, the uh, North Andover voters at town meeting this month are going to have to vote on the Goldstein Project uh, for Osgood Landing. And um, they, what they want to do is have an indoor uh, marijuana testing, growing, and uh, research facility at the old Lucent building, which is now called Osgood Landing on 125. And Dave Teresi did something. He's a member of the school committee now. He went from state rep down to school committee because it's like the only place that would accept him. And, um, and I, I learned on Facebook, I guess, earlier this week that Dave is against this project. So I started calling people to find out, like, why would Dave be against this project? He's a puking liberal. He's, he's for whatever the Democrat Party wants. He's, he's basically a political hack. Why wouldn't he be for this? It's for tons of money for the town. Come to find out, he works for a competing marijuana industry company. So he's not opposing it because he thinks it's bad for the town. He's, he's still the same friggin' Dave Teresi he was when he got his ass kicked by Diana DeZoglio, and that's why he lost, because he, he was constantly selling out. Like, he would sell his vote to, like, you know, whoever it was that was the highest bidder. So we learned that this week. I wanted to pass that along to my, my, uh, my viewers because um, uh, that's something that people who are following us should know as we go forward with this marijuana debate. We're going to try and have Jeff Goldstein on uh, either next week or the week after to talk about the North Andover situation. I think, again, I voted against marijuana being legal, but now that it's legal, how do you, how do you oppose a liquor store on Main Street? because you don't believe the liquor should be legal. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not even an acceptable answer. Um, so we're going to have him on. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, there's a story. I'm not sure if it's today or yesterday in the front page of the Evil Tribune. And the minute I, I was, because I don't read it anymore, and I should because I'm in the news business and people are always asking me, did you see the trip today? And I, I, I don't, and I should, uh, but I don't. But I was walking past an Evil Tribune yesterday or today, and the headline was... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. You can find it online if you want. Um, Haverhill Counselor's son uh, begins his trial for rape. And I was just shocked. The whole reason we started the Valley Patriot was because of asshole moves like this. Now, you tell me, son, and just, just think about this as a regular person, right? Even if you're a political person. Why is it that... Someone can get accused of rape, someone can get accused of drug trafficking, whatever, beating their wives, domestic violence, drunk driving. And it doesn't make the front page of the paper. It makes maybe the inside if, it gets, if it's in the paper at all. It's in the arrest reports, if it's there at all. But because someone happens to be the spawn of an elected official, because someone happens to be the son or daughter or brother-in-law of an elected official, that somehow means that that kid should have his life ruined and on the front page of the paper for the rest of his life? Because look, let's remember, this kid's only on trial. Right? I'm not even going to say who the counselor is because it's not right. What the Tribune did and what they do is disgraceful. It's, the reason, it's the, almost the number one reason we started this paper. It's disgraceful. You have ruined this kid's life for the rest of his life with an accusation. Now, let's say he goes through his trial and he gets found not guilty. Think that's going to be on the front page? Probably not. Probably not. But even if it is, five years from now, ten years from now, when that kid goes for a job, when he tries to, when he tries to join some organization, maybe he wants to get a job for the government and he needs clearance, and they Google his name, I guarantee you the rape accusation is going to show up and the exoneration is not going to show up on Google. I promise you that. And if it does, you'll have to go searching for it. And at that point, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it really matters at that point. 
I don't understand why the media thinks that someone being related to somebody doing something bad means that that person who's related to them should be on the front page of the paper. I, just, I don't get that. That's not journalism. That's the National Enquirer. I mean, really, it's, it's slander. If you ask me, it's libel, if you ask me, because he's not getting treated the same way as everyone else. Now, look, if the, if the Haverhill City Councilor had pulled strings, like say maybe his kid was about to get arrested and he called the police and he called the chief and said, hey, I'm City Councilor so-and-so, can you give my kid a break? Okay, that's a front-page story. Like, he tried to use his influence as an elected official to get his kid out of something. That's a front-page story. But the fact that someone who happens to be in a, in a position, an elected position, and their kid goes out and is accused of doing something wrong, that kid should have his picture on the front page of the paper. By the way, is the woman who's accusing the city councilor's son, is her picture on the front page of the paper, anybody? Hands? No. I didn't see her picture on the front page of the paper. What if she lied? What if she lied? I know we're in an environment now where every woman who makes an accusation by virtue of the fact that they have a vagina was supposed to just believe them. Like, whatever your, whatever your physical makeup of your body is, that's, that's what we used to determine whether we believe people now. But the fact is people lie, whether you've got a vagina or you don't. So is the woman who made the accusation, if her picture's not on the front page, why is the person who's innocent until proven guilty, why is his picture on the front page? Why is his father's picture on the... His father didn't go out and get accused of rape. Why is the father's picture on the front page of the paper? You know why? Because the press doesn't give two shits about destroying people's lives. The Tribune, CNN, The Globe, The Lowell Sun, they don't care about destroying people's lives. They don't care that they've literally ruined this kid for as long as he's here. What they care about is that you're going to spend a dollar when you're at Richdale when you see that headline and you pick up that story so they can make money on it. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know what else I could, I could liken it to, but it, to me, that's, that's no different than the drug dealer on the street selling, selling drugs to your kids. I, I, to me, if you're going to destroy someone's life on an accusation and just be... Compl- I really hope that... I hope this kid gets found not guilty if he didn't do it. Boy, wouldn't it be awful... Wouldn't it be awful if this kid's not guilty and his picture's in the front page forever? I hope if he didn't do it, he gets off. And if he's guilty, listen, throw the book at him. But do it after he's found guilty. Put his picture on the front page after he's found guilty. There's no need to destroy somebody during an accusation because we all know. Look, we, the stories, you just Google it. Women who make up stories, whether it's because maybe they had sex with someone then dad found out and they didn't want to tell dad that they did it so they said he, he forced me. Or maybe they got a boyfriend that they're cheating on and the boyfriend finds out they don't want to admit they were cheating so they tell the boyfriend, oh, he forced me. And the next thing you know, you've got everybody in your life telling you you've got to go to the police and make an accusation. Uh, I don't know if this kid's guilty. I don't know him. I know the father a little bit. He used to write for us. But I think while the accusation is going on, if you're not going to put the accuser's name in, then... The person accused shouldn't be in either. And by the way, what do you guys think is going to happen if he's found not guilty? Even if the girl gets up on the stand and admits that she lied, do you think the Tribune will put her picture on the front page of the paper that next day? I promise you they won't. Because this isn't about trying to stop a rapist. It's not about informing the public, and it's not about educating people. It's about making money destroying people. And it's also about a political message. Woman equals good, man equals bad. Black equals good, white equals bad. That's the narrative of today's media. 
Minority equals good, non-minority equals bad, right? That's what we hear all day on CNN. That's what we see every day in the Globe, the Herald, the Sun, all, the others, all these other newspapers. So I, I just, when we run the Valley Patriot, we try not to do that. And when we do the show, we're going to call it out when we see it. Uh, what else do we have? I had a whole bunch of other topics I wanted to talk about, but I'm trying to cram it all in into 10 minutes. We can go over a little bit, right? Just a little bit anyway. Um, sitting to my left here, we have uh, my two interns. I appreciate you guys sitting up here with me for a little bit. Uh, Maddie Ryan is all the way to the far left because she needs someone to protect her from me. She's got Keanu in the middle. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we've got Keanu, who's really only here because she's pretty. But uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, we want to thank uh, Twin Light Security. I actually have a, I get through the whole show. We're almost at the end of the show, and I haven't thanked everybody. Uh, Twin Light Security uh, is, uh, they do my security. So when I'm driving around Lawrence and I'm going to shooting calls, or accidents or fires. Um, it's always good to have Twin Light Securities with me. Sometimes there's a guy in the car, usually Mike Thibodeau's with me. Uh, sometimes we get a couple of guys following us behind because when I get to the scene of something, I'm looking through my screen, I'm looking through my camera. I can't be looking over my shoulder to see who's like coming up from behind me. So it's always good to have those guys there. Two Guys Smoke Shop, which is where we are uh, doing our show from. Uh, don't tune out, I'm doing credits, but that doesn't mean I'm done. Um, uh, we also want to thank uh, Rick Belanti, our DJ. We've got our, our charity bash coming up uh, in March, so you want to keep an eye out for that. And uh, I'm actually I'm stalling so I can find my note. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, look at this. In Lawrence this week, how much time we got? We're good? Uh, in Lawrence this week, uh, the Lawrence City Council, which has blathered on and lied for the last 20 years about how much they friggin' love diversity... You listen to Kendry's Vasquez during the uh, election. It's all about diversity. And you listen to Modesto Maldonado and his crew, and everything's about diversity. Diversity's important. But apparently diversity is only important when they're advocating for some minority position. Because this week, um, the Lawrence City Council decided to make Kendry's Vasquez, elect, elect Kendry's Vasquez the city council president. He is Latino. And the, up until that moment, current vice president, Mark LaPlante, was white. And that was pretty diverse, I thought. You had the president was Latino, the vice president was white. I thought that was pretty diverse. But apparently, once minorities get the numbers that they, that they want so that they can, they can be the majority, suddenly diversity is not important anymore. So now they have gotten rid of Mark LaPlante as the vice president of the Lawrence City Council, and they've elected Giovanni Rodriguez, good friend of ours. We like Giovanni. I'm glad he's vice president. I think he'll do a good job. But I just kind of thought it was odd. I just thought it was a little odd that this same group of friggin' hypocrites, and they're all friends of mine, but I'm sorry, when you were acting as a board, you're a bunch of friggin' hypocrites, sit there and they blather on at every public hearing, they blather on at every community works event, Talking about diversity, diversity so wonderful. Where is your diversity in the leadership of your city council? Where's the white guy? That's all I want to know. I think if you were going to replace Mark LaPlante as the vice chairman of the Lawrence School Committee and get rid of the white guy, you should have replaced Kendry's Vasquez with a white guy. You make, swap it. You got a Latino president and a white vice president. Get rid of Kendry, says the president. Make it Dave Abdu. And then you get Giovanni as the vice president. And then guess what you have? Diversity, But you guys don't give a shit about diversity, do you? You don't. You only care about diversity when it's a talking point to get something that you want for a minority position. Then once you get that, suddenly diversity is not important anymore. It's like equality. Everybody wants equality unless guys are being treated unequal. Then suddenly equality is not important anymore. They really should call the Democrat Party the schizophrenic party. That's what they are. 
Everything that they believe is in direct contradiction to everything else that they believe. It's crazy. And we talked about that last week. Uh, what else do we have here on our list? Um, yeah, we're going to have to skip over that. Um, oh, listen, I love Suzanne Bump. How much time we got? All right, good. We'll, we'll, we'll do the last five minutes on Suzanne Bump. All my Tea Party people are going to fucking hate me now. Um, Suzanne Bump is a left-wing, a really crazy left-wing moon bat, so-called progressive. She thinks Elizabeth Warren's too conservative, all right? But she's the state auditor. So I get emails at least four or five a week from people who either find an interview that I did with her online or find a story that I did about her online or saw a comment that I made on Facebook about how much I love Suzanne Bump. And they all, they all basically say the same thing. Tom, how can you love her? She's a left-wing moon bat. She's for abortion on demand up to third grade. She's for taxing everybody at 90%. She thinks Bernie Sanders is too conservative. How can you possibly love this woman? Well, it's easy. She's an auditor. It doesn't matter where she stands on abortion. It doesn't matter where she stands on the death penalty. She's not in charge of the death penalty. She's an auditor. And look at what she's done as a state auditor for Massachusetts. She's gone after DCF. Department of Children and Families. She's gone after the Welfare Department. She exposed millions of dollars in welfare fraud in the Welfare Department, and Deval Patrick, when she did it, came out and publicly attacked her because she was going after one of their holy grail issues. So you know what she did? She did another audit, and she found more waste, fraud, and abuse, and she found more corruption in, in DCF and in the Welfare Department. If a, if a Republican had done that, if a, if a Republican state auditor had done those audits, you know that the Boston Globe and the media and Deval Patrick at the time and the Democrat legislature would be running around saying, oh, that's a, that's a bogus audit. They hate minorities. They hate poor people. They're racist. Republicans are racist. That's the only reason they did this. But when Suzanne Bump does it, they can't say that, can they? So I think there's a tremendous value to having someone like Suzanne Bump in the position that she's in because she can come out and she can advocate for photo ID on welfare cards. And no one can call her a racist. She can come out and she can audit DCF and say they're wasting money. She can go after welfare and say, why is there millions of dollars missing and wasted out of the welfare department? And no one can say she's doing it because she hates those brown people in Lawrence. So she's having a huge effect. And as I was saying to Diana Dezogli earlier, if Every, anytime a Democrat goes after a Democrat issue, and anytime there's dissension within a party, Democrat or Republican, it's always a good thing for the public. Because most of this stuff gets done behind closed doors. Everything's done with a whisper and a deal and an email. And then when they come out in public, it's just for show. It's all theater. So when you have conflict within a party, that lifts the curtain a little bit. And you get to actually see how that sausage is made. And thanks to Suzanne Bump, uh, you know, we, we found out that, you know, DCF, even after their audit, haven't cleaned up their act. I mean, it's a, total, it's a total disgrace what they're doing with these children. There are children missing they don't even know. You listen to the scanner every day. I listen to the scanner every day. You got kids from the uh, key program in Methuen going missing on a regular basis. You have kids in that program assaulting staff members, and they can't defend themselves. Because, well, you know, if you hit a kid back, even if you're defending yourself, it's a child, and... Suzanne Bump does a great job. And so I, I welcome the emails that I get. I understand that my fellow Tea Party members, I'm still, just because I like Suzanne Bump, please don't start your email off with, when did you become a liberal? So I don't agree with any of her political stands at all. But she's not in a political position. Yeah, she runs for the job. 
But she's not in charge of abortion. She's not in charge of these other things. She's not in charge of raising taxes. In fact, I would argue the money that Suzanne Bump has saved the Commonwealth of Massachusetts by exposing the waste, fraud, and abuse in social service programs has allowed the state to recoup some of that money and actually give it to kids who need it. Every person that's got a fake welfare card out there is stealing money from a kid who needs it. That money was appropriated by our state legislature to help people, whether it's the home heating assistance program or whether it's the WIC program. I think we spend way too much on it. But when we see waste and fraud, when we see abuse, and we see people with fake IDs, when Willie Lantigua was getting home heating assistance while he was a mayor and a state rep and had a living girlfriend who made $100,000 a year, someone should have gone to jail for that. But at least they found out about it, was able to recoup the money, and poor little Jose on Hampshire Street in Lawrence can actually maybe get some home heating assistance and doesn't have to go to bed cold tonight. So I, wanna, I just wanted to answer some of the emails that I get on Suzanne Bump. Um, people, even after I've explained it, still can't figure it out because this is supposed to be a war and the other side is supposed to be the enemy and Suzanne Bump's a liberal and she's the enemy. Um, but it, it, people who are reasonable, who don't live, breathe, eat, and sleep this stuff every day, um, most of us don't see anybody as the enemy. Even Elizabeth Warren don't see, the, see them as the enemy. They're people. And sometimes you can talk to them. Sometimes you can change their minds. Sometimes you can't. Um, we're going to be having, uh, how, how, how are we doing on time? Are we good? Well, we're at three. All right, so I'll, let, me, let me wrap up. Um, we're going to try to get DJ Deeb to come on the show next week. Joe Solomon just drove off the road. Um, apparently, there was a little kerfuffle here at my first show two weeks ago. And DJ Deeb was here. And we love DJ. He's a columnist for the Valley Patriot. I've been, I've been uh, watching him for a while. Um, I, I like to keep guys like DJ close. We agree on a lot of stuff on politics, but um, he's now attacking Chief Solomon, and he's now attacking, attacking the Methuen police. And he claims to be a libertarian. But I don't know any libertarians who, for, who are for increasing funding for the local schools. I don't know any libertarians who say, let's take money from the cops and give it to the school department. Now, quite frankly, we spend way too much money on schools, I think. But whether you agree with me or not, libertarians, as part of being a libertarian, is for lower taxes and lower spending, spending not lower spending for cops and more spending for, for, for schools. So we're going to have DJ come in next week. I've got a story I'm going to be writing about his shenanigans that he's involved in, uh, what he's trying to promote and what he's saying. And uh, then we're going to come in, I think, next week. We're going to talk about it. Maybe we'll even get Joe Solomon in here. Maybe we'll get him to fight. That would be fun. Like a good on-air fight going on. Um, where are we? Oh, so, um, so yeah. So next week at 2 o'clock here at Two Guys Smoke Shop. I want to thank Dave uh, here at Two Guys Smoke Shop for helping us out. We're going to try and help promote you a little more. Sorry I didn't mention you at the beginning. Uh, Twin Lights Security. It's Twin Lights with an S. So if you're looking for them online, it's Twin Light Security. My, uh, my, my uh, buddy, Mike Thibodeau. I'm going to try and talk slower. I know I'm rushing through this. I apologize. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Francisco Urena, who was supposed to be a guest last week. I'm going to try and get him on again uh, next week. I'm looking for my uh, Frank Can, Frank Can at, at Coffee Can, uh, Frank H. Can Associates. We're going to try and get him on at, at a subsequent show. Teams of Gala Century 21. You can throw some music up as we're on our way out there. Stu, Stu Fink, we want to thank him for producing the show today. Jonathan Bergeron, Christina Jascott for putting up with all my crap, Maddie Ryan, my intern. See, it's like I'm back in Lawrence. This is exactly what I'm looking for. 
Kiana Roy, who comes here to look pretty every day. We're going to give her a, a role next week. Ira, who's not here. Maddie's security team, Bill Ryan, who protects her from me. Who did we leave out? Anybody? Sean the Barista. We didn't get Sean on the show. Okay, you have a whole segment next week. Sean the Barista. And, of course, Rich Russell, who's here. He's our photographer at the Valley Patriot. The Valley Patriot is on the street. The January edition is out. Look for it. If you'd like to sponsor the show, we'll give you ads in the print edition. We'll give you ads online on valleypatriot.com. For less than $800 a month, we can promote the hell out of your business. Trust me, you'll make a lot more than the $800 back. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank you to the studio audience. One more can, in the, one more show in the can. Wow, they really do good look on camera, huh? Wow, fantastic. We just do a two hours of just that. Oh, here he is, Sean the Barista. He's here, he's here. Thank you, Sean. I do this with my pinky out now, hold on. With my, with my pinky. Is that how you're supposed to do it with the pinky out, right? The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.